Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So on today's podcast, I'm really delighted to introduce to you Dr. Tosin, who is someone that I connected with via social media, the joys of social media, a few months ago now. So it's really exciting to have you here in the studio. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get started, just tell me a bit about you. So you're a GP, but you're training to be a GP, but you've got quite an interesting background. So do you mind just explaining about what you do and how you've come to where you are? Yes, thank you. So I'm a GP trainee. I'm in SC3. So for those that don't know, that's the third year of um, training. Hopefully should be rounding up in August this year. My background originally, I used to be an orthopedic registrar scattered around the whole of England, really. I think the only place I didn't get to was Scotland. But down the line somewhere, I did the massive U-turn that a lot of people do and came into general practice, which is what I've been doing. And I've not regretted it since. Great. So tell me why you were interested to get in contact with me then, because orthopedics, general practice, people might not say, and you're male, clearly. (laughs) Yes. So I think it all started with the AKT exam. Now, the AKT exam is the first stage GP exam that we do in general practice. So doing that, someone like me, I'm sure with many people you've talked about, in medical school, we really never got taught anything about the menopause. All of a sudden, I'm in general practice used to cutting bones and as well as sawing bones and put together and here I am a woman presents and she's telling me about the menopause and I'm like uh you know <laughs> so I had to start going to do a lot of research and towards the exam time I was able to get the 14 fish package right and yes. um, interestingly there your video was and I think I've told my friends we should probably rename your video the epiphany video because oh. like, so like oh wow okay oh wow then you know like well, the light bulbs were just going off here and there and I'm mm. like, gosh, this is interesting. So that was like the very first time I had the base complete introduction broken down in simple steps. Best way to do about menopause and the HRT. And that has helped me since. That's what got me interested in the first place. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's great, isn't it? So 14 Fish, for those of you listening who don't know, is a company that I've been working with and we've developed a whole confidence in the menopause remote program for healthcare professionals, but it's free. So any healthcare professional can access it just, I think it's about just under an hour, wasn't it, of me lecturing and just mm-hmm. doing some very basics. And they did have one on there that Mark Coombe, the educational director had done, but there were a few errors in there, um, <laughs> which I did point out to him. So I said, look, I'll just record it for you. And I'll try to keep it really simple, but it's like a lot of things in medicine. You're on this conveyor belt, aren't you? And you just sort of, you learn what you're told and you're a bit robotic because there's so much, there's so much that you need to do. And you very much are guided by who your trainer is or who your peers are or what you read. And you just sort of keep going a bit like a hamster in a wheel because you just want to do your best, but it's so, so busy. You haven't got time to really reflect and think. True. And it's sometimes, isn't it, when somebody just says something that makes sense, you think, well, why didn't I think about that before? It's so obvious. And I think this is very key with the menopause. And even I had no training and it was all about hot flushes. And it was only taking a step back, thinking, actually, this is a long-term hormone deficiency with real health risks. And why isn't it being addressed? what's going on women are living longer and then the more you ask in general practice about 
from patients, the more you realise how many symptoms there are as well. Yes. And um, with everything, like um, going back to the video, when I listened, you now start having flashbacks and seeing things. I mean, the picture I had in mind at that time was I remember there were periods when my mom was going through it, for instance. You could see times where she would just dash out and she would have to have the fan on all of a sudden. Mm. And as a young kid, then you know, like, we really didn't know. So it, now you reflect back and be like, oh, well, women were struggling with all these things. Yeah, so with learning through it with um, 14 fish and everything, I was able to now start looking at it, start addressing more of the symptoms that women were presenting with. Mm. And are you prescribing HRT? Are you helping women? Yes, so I have started prescribing it, thankfully. In ST1, I struggled a bit, but um, after watching the video in between, coming to my ST3, I actually probably watched that video like five, six times just to re-over it. The good thing is you're able to, sometimes you're able to speed it up. So I've been able to listen. Oh, yes. And the webinar with Dr. Coombe recently, that one as well, that was like a refresher course. So with that, I had formed a bit of an algorithm in mind how to go about it. And it did help in the exam as well. So I've prescribed for a lot of women now. What we tend to do, especially with the help of my trainer, I've got a very good trainer in my practice and my colleagues, the um, GPs there as well. They've taken me through it as well. And they've done what we do, uh, like video cuts. That's the observation tools where they sit down Mm -hmm. and watch you consult and make a few tweaks here and there. So it has been quite helpful. That's brilliant, isn't it? Because um, I think HRT has always been quite complicated or made to be quite complicated. And and even now, as you know, when we prescribe, there's all sorts of warnings that are inaccurate. And you open the BNF, the British National Formulary of all the drugs, and it it can be quite confusing. And so Mm. I think a lot of people are sort of scared away from it. But actually, we know, don't we, that for the majority of women, the benefits outweigh the risks. It's really important because... You were saying earlier that you're very into lifestyle medicine. And yes. this is really key. And that, in fact, we did, um, I've got a not-for-profit doing research education, and we did a survey of just over 3,000 women recently. And we found that only 24% of women had been given any lifestyle advice or even asked about any lifestyle. Wow. Which I was quite, I was shocked but not surprised. I don't know whether that low amount surprises you at all in general practice. Well, it doesn't. I think everybody knows with the whole way general practice is, unfortunately, it's more like a conveyor belt system where the patient is coming in, you've got one symptom to deal with in the 10 minutes. So you're just going through it and trying to give everything out. So it's now we've kind of taken a step back and we're trying to incorporate more lifestyle into the way we treat things. Mm. Because it's so important. I mean, one of the, well, there's lots of things that I want to do, but one of the things I want to do is improve the health of women globally no mean feat but what I want to do is to prevent as much disease as possible and that's quite hard isn't it because also in medicine we get presented with a patient who has a disease and we work out the treatment but actually I want to take a step before that and think how can we prevent the disease happening and yeah. of course you can't prevent every disease and of course not all diseases are due to lifestyle but a significant amount are and it's increasing isn't it with obesity increasing type 2 diabetes increasing i think covid's making us even more aware because people with comorbidities such as type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease and obesity are far more likely to die and go to intensive care aren't they so true true i mean we ask in my clinic all the time do you smoke how much alcohol do you drink if you drink alcohol and what exercise do you do and just that question what exercise do you do 
it's quite revealing actually, isn't it? It is. I mean, what always gets me is when I, once I say, what exercise do you do to a patient? Or I'd probably say, oh, how much exercise do you get? The first, there are two answers that are very common. Oh, I don't have time to go to Mm. the gym. Yes. And I stop them there and try and break it down. Actually, no, I did not ask if you were going to the gym. Yes. And um, one of the uh, people I follow and like kind of has mentored me from afar is um, someone like Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Yes. Got his four-pillar plan book, which was like from the baseline of what I've been using. Mm. So pointed out little small hacks for people here and there, how they can get exercise in. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, and it is so key, isn't it? And I think you're absolutely right. People think exercise, you have to have a dedicated time and you have to go to a gym and you have to have an instructor and it's expensive and you have to have the most amazing lycra or gym shoes or whatever. And and actually, sometimes for people, it's just going up the stairs, isn't it? it or is, just, yes. you know, doing a few sort of squats while you're waiting the kettle to boil. It doesn't yes. have to be full on, but it's really important having it part of your routine, isn't it? I think that's what's really important. It is, yes, it is. So with exercise, um, one of the things I, because of the lifestyle medicine, one of the advices I started giving people when they follow is trying to layer it on things they already do. Mm. Something that we're trying to push at my workplace is small, a mini competition really, but it's just that, on an average day, anybody would go and use the bathroom if you're drinking enough fluids, minimum of three to four times. Mm. So, and I explain it to people, that is a space, it's a private space where immediately you've used the bathroom or the toilet, you can do squats there and then for 30 seconds and nobody mm. knows and you've got some exercise in and you just moved on yes. and you've exercised the biggest muscles in your body and mm. it's just so quick. So, yes, we're trying to push that around for people to do. It's very important, isn't it? Because I think even if you did five minutes a day, that's still, you know, seven days a week, five, that's over half an hour a week. That adds up, doesn't it? It does, it does. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. And as many people that listen know, I do Ashtanga yoga and I do it on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock without fail. And um, I was dropping my daughter off, one of my daughters off to school today and I had my yoga stuff on and one of the dads from school said, oh, you're not working today. I said, yeah, of course I am. I've got a full on day. And he looked at me (laughs) and I said, no, no, I just do yoga in between meetings and I have to do it on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock as well as I do at the weekend as well. Because if I don't, my head will go, my, you know, my brain goes, and then my sleep goes. And it's just so good. And I'm very lucky because I have a shower here at the clinic. So I can literally, you know, it doesn't take too much time out of my day, but it would be very easy to fill up that hour. And it's, I think exercise is underrated, but I think nutrition is underrated. And then certainly at medical school, we've got to talk very little about nutrition and certainly about uh, the gut microbes and everything else and if I wasn't doing menopause work I would certainly do something with nutrition because that's so important isn't it and so many patients are not given the right information actually and they're, they're guided by advertising I find rather than what's really good for them. I mean, that's right. It's just, just rather the unfortunate thing, isn't it? What, what's out there and what they can see. And then, like you said, when I sat back and looked at it and like, oh, actually, that is true. I mean, in six years of medical school, probably maybe just two weeks of nutrition. Mm. And um, we'd, when you sit back and you try and unpick the um, change in lifestyle disease, I mean, nutrition plays a big role. Yeah, there are other things, obviously, but yes, with nutrition. And people do not just get that information. Yeah. And there's a lot of mixed messages, isn't there, that people feel really guilty. And certainly a lot of my patients just tell me that they stop eating. So they skip breakfast and they'll have maybe a sandwich. They say, all I have is a sandwich and a low calorie snack bar for lunch. And then they'll have some ready-made lasagna or something or pasta dish or something that they've bought. 
And they said, but that's all I eat. And I'm saying, my goodness, no wonder you feel so tired. And, you know, they're counting their calories and they think that's what's right, that they think because of the way the food's been labelled, but it's not the right way to eat at all, is it? No, no, it isn't. And it's a big thing out there. So for people, most times I always try and push, okay, maybe try and see if they can speak to a dietitian. Or there are some people, especially if I do this for people back home in my country, Nigeria, where I can try and take them through things step by step because you can't sort everything out in a short 10-minute appointment or with that. So it has to be something longer. And there are a lot of nuances in nutrition. So we just, I just said, look, just take it easy see what fits you and we can work Mm. through things i mean but everything ties into place and especially with women that are going through the menopausal period as well it's something that kind of comes up to the fore where they are Mm. struggling and you find some of them having to do comfort eating as well yeah definitely and certainly so many women find that their sleep is negatively affected because hormones work so well in our brains and if you don't sleep and you're tired and you have sugar cravings because you have low estrogen levels it's very easy to say to women, no, you have to cut out sugar, but they crave it. You know, it's addictive as well, isn't it? So it is. It's very hard, actually. But so tell me in Nigeria, what's menopause care like over there? Do you know? Well, to be very honest with you, looking back now, I probably never prescribed anything menopausal in Nigeria. Mm. I think even going back to remember my mother, I think it, she just went through it. So mm. unless now there'll be a specialized niche, I've not been home in a number of years and I've not looked into that mm. area completely, but I don't think it's something prescribed on the regular back home for people. Which is quite something, isn't it? Can you imagine saying, oh, all the ladies who have an underactive thyroid gland, we don't give them thyroxin. Yeah, so that, that's a straight thing, isn't it? But I think it's more the investigation part of it. Off the top of my head, most doctors back home, they wouldn't put that as a top priority. In fact, most women back home will probably look at it as the natural phase of things. And um, this is what I have to go through, that kind of feeling, which is shameful, really. It is. And it's so much a misunderstanding, isn't it? Because, and I understand that it is a natural process, of course, but because women are living so much longer, it needs to be addressed. And the health risks are huge. And we certainly, um, or I certainly engage with a lot of women from all across the world. And certainly the app that I've developed um, has been downloaded by women from more than half the countries across the world. But a lot of women can't access HRT, but they still don't know the health risks of having low hormone levels. So, no. you know, for example, women who have hot flushes have a higher risk of heart disease and stroke. So let's look at ways wow. of reducing heart disease. You know, that's what's really important, isn't it? Look at the risk of osteoporosis and dementia without your yes. hormones. So, you know, it's a bit like obesity is not a disease, is it? But it leads to a lot of diseases. It and does it needs to be addressed. And low hormones are no different in the menopause, but it's changing the education because I think a lot of doctors see it as a bit of a frivolous specialty, actually. They don't see that it's so needed. I think from my experience, it's more the lack of knowledge Mm. that makes people put up that front of, oh, you don't need to do that. It's more the lack of knowledge. If people were able to get the amount of information and they understood it in a simplified version, more people might be open to it. I feel mm. that's what it is. Because interestingly, I was able, we've got the chat groups on Telegram and where we've got large court of ST3s and Perfect, yeah. African doctors. And uh, I put a poll recently and startling, only I think there were I think, 50 respondents and only less than 20% of them felt very confident prescribing HRT. Mm. So 
So that kind of showed a lot. It is, isn't it? I did a survey, well, did two surveys actually, one through the Primary Care Women's Health Forum, which is predominantly with doctors, nurses, physios who are confident in or have got special interest in, in women's health. And the same questionnaire I put through GPs, it's a few years ago now, to see how confident they were. And it's very similar. Very few were confident in HRT. And when I said, where do you work out or how do you find out which type of HRT to prescribe? A lot of them would just open the BNF. So it was very much just you know, finger in the sky, just trying to work out. They didn't really know. So that means that the women are not being given necessarily the right dose and type of HRT. And as you know, the body identical HRT, the estrogen through the skin as a patch gel or spray is best. And there was a study recently in the British Journal of General Practice that showed that women from disadvantaged backgrounds are less likely to get estrogen through the skin. They're more likely to have tablets, which has more risks. So... And then when I spoke to some doctors from areas of social deprivation, they said, Louise, we've got more to worry about than just the menopause. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. In fact, like um, I think what you said was if we were able to treat the menopause, maybe the symptoms they were worrying about will also be taken care of at the same time. Absolutely. And it's not just the symptoms. You know, we know that giving HRT to women reduces their risk of heart disease more effectively than women who take a statin for raised cholesterol or take a blood pressure lowering treatment for hypertension. But it doesn't just reduce heart disease risk, it also reduces osteoporosis risk, diabetes risk and everything else. But actually, thinking about orthopaedics for a second, women who take HRT are less likely to have hip replacements and knee replacements um, because estrogen is an anti-inflammatory in the muscles and joints. And we see hundreds, if not thousands of women who have joint pain. So they often have joints in their fingers and their feet can be very uncomfortable, especially in the morning, but also their large joints can be uncomfortable. And a lot of them have been seen either by rheumatologists or orthopaedic consultants or surgeons and have been told we've got a bit of arthritis, a bit of worm tear, nothing we can do about it. And I just think now you know what you do. Thinking back to your orthopaedic practice, do you think there were women that maybe were menopausal that you didn't realise? Oh, yes, most definitely. I mean, you know, the saying is that to a carpenter, every problem is a nail, isn't it? So then in an yes. orthopedic, you've seen the joint, it looks arthritic. That more than likely, it's, we give them a bit of lifestyle. We just say, go, do some lifestyle changes. But we can't be too specific, isn't it? And you either mm. give them some physio, then next is a steroid injection, then probably you're working your way towards a knee replacement. Whereas looking back now, some women might just have benefited from some HRT. Yes. And certainly we see a lot of women who have frozen shoulder, which is far more common in women and a lot of it melts away with the right dose and type of estrogen often testosterone as well and it just makes me think because I had never thought about it at all before in my Mm -hmm. training because no one pointed it out but you know a lot of arthritis even rheumatoid arthritis is more common in women it's an autoimmune disease but autoimmune diseases are more common in women especially after the menopause so yes yeah there's a lot of orthopedic surgeons that probably need to be educated about the menopause don't you think I think they do. I wonder how that will go. It's a very, very, very big mountain to climb, I think I'd say, you know, because of the way the mindset is set towards how they do things and structuring the treatment for the bone and the muscles and everything. But whereas, yeah, a lot of lifestyle changes needs to be talked about. Well, I think also now with COVID, a lot of people who are waiting for elective operations, so knee and hip joint replacements for arthritis are being cancelled or delayed. So actually ways of helping them is going to be good because the more that they can be mobile the more they can exercise the better so actually to have an anti-inflammatory 
in the form of a hormone as opposed to an anti-inflammatory medication or even a stronger painkiller, you know, there's no harm trying, but a lot of people don't think. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think that does make a lot of sense. The thing about the things um, is the most that thing that was printed out, the MHRA guidance and the yes. recent Lancet paper that came out about the estrogen. I mean, mm. with the way it was put in the papers, it's created a negative bias in yes. pretty much a lot of people's minds. Absolutely. And it's been a real problem because when something comes out from the MHRA, you read it and you think, goodness me, this must be correct. But what the MHRA failed to tell us was that this was based on older types of HRT and it only looked at risks. It didn't look at any of the benefits. So it does make people scared. And often people don't have time to go back and look at the original evidence. But I have managed to change some orthopedic surgeons practice near to where I work because they were stopping women who take HRT before they had surgery so joint replacement surgery because as you know if someone was on a tablet estrogen or the contraceptive pill, yeah there's a small risk of clots so they did this because that's what they thought and so I sent um, one of the lead orthopedic surgeons for a big group of hospitals near here some evidence and they've changed their practice so now they allow women who have estrogen through the skin with micronized progesterone because there's no risk of clot with that either Mm -hmm. to continue their HRT and actually it improves their recovery because if you suddenly withdraw HRT and you're getting symptoms and as you know estrogen but also testosterone can improve sarcopenia this muscle wasting that happens when they're trying to rehabilitate after a joint replacement they need as much muscle strength as they can get so i was quite chuffed but we need to uh, it's still tip of the iceberg (laughs) that that, that is impressive to be honest i mean that's really good (laughs) yeah there's a long way to go but it's also i think empowering the women isn't it so that they know what's going on with their bodies because it can be very scary for a lot of women, and I'm sure you've seen women in general practice, I certainly have, who think that they've got dementia because their brain is going, or they think they're depressed, or they think they've got a brain tumour because they're getting worse than headaches. And it just takes the right questions to ask to realise that it's related to their hormones. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're seeing people, one of my recent patients was brain fog, poor sleep especially, then high irritability and low mood. So Immediately, all those things come up, and unfortunately, first thing one goes, oh, is this patient depressed? Are mm. they going to depression? You actually have to take a step back and say, hang on a minute, let's go through the questionnaire. That's the questionnaire from your website. You send it to them, and they say, oh, they've ticked a lot of boxes here. And I ring them up, and I say, I think you might be going through the menopause, and she tells you, oh, I actually haven't thought of that. Then yes. it ensues into another discussion. So it's always it's always interesting. Yes, and I, I mean, I must have missed so many women because it, I wasn't thinking about it. And I wish I'd used the questionnaire that I use now for all my patients um, because it's very hard, isn't it, when you're busy to ask all the questions, whereas the patient can answer them beforehand. Yes. You've saved a lot of time in your consultation, haven't you? So, yes, it was in, luckily with the whole COVID pandemic and the shift in practice to a lot of online-based work, most people send in a request mm. and if they have detailed in what the, the symptoms they are having, we're now sometimes able to reply and say, hang on, answer these questions for me. And depending on your answers, when I'm going to call you up, we can have a discussion. So it is starting to work in that way now. Yeah, which is ideal, actually, because, you know, patients need to lead their consultations. I don't believe anymore they should be led by doctors. I think we're here to guide and assist and help and show them the best evidence. But it's about listening to them is really important. And certainly one of the things I'm doing quite a lot of work on is creating some sort of treatment pathways as 
well, which will really help doctors once they have the diagnosis. And hopefully women will download the free app that I've developed called Balance. Yeah, Balance app. Yeah, and then create a health report from it. And then the doctor will be able to access a treatment pathway. So they will be advised and guided as to which HRT is best. If HRT Mm. is appropriate, but if it is or isn't, regardless, they still need lifestyle advice. And I think a lot of people think it's all about HRT or nothing. Whereas even women on HRT still need to look at their lifestyle. And certainly women not on HRT need to look about their lifestyle. So it's really important, isn't it, that everything in medicine is holistic. Oh, yes. Yes. And there's this, um, what's that saying? Because when you come into medicine or you see a patient, there's that tendency to just become very microscopic and tunnel vision to just focus on that symptom. Mm. For instance, I mean, from this conversation that we've had, when you mentioned frozen shoulder, I actually took a step back and said, hold on a minute. I've actually never really sat back and said, could this be coming from her hormones? Mm. It's frozen shoulder. I've done the movement of taking it through the angles. It's not going through. We need to do this, this, this. Mm. Thank you. See you in two weeks time. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? I think um, one of the doctors here, Sarah Ball, had decided before she came to work with us, she was going to spend her whole morning in general practice every woman over the age of 40 she was going to try and get something about the menopause into the consultation and um, the last patient she saw was a lady who had diabetes and had had her driving license taken away because she was getting low sugar levels overnight and having mini fits and so obviously she couldn't drive and so she came very upset about this so Sarah thought well how am I going to ask her about menopause this doesn't quite fit in anyway she because she'd made this promise to herself, she asked about when her last periods were and her periods had recently stopped. Was she getting any flushes, sweats? Yes, she was getting lots. What about overnight? Oh my goodness, yes, she was waking every hour or so with night sweats. And then she was getting these shaking episodes. So Sarah said, well, we need to give you HRT anyway because it's got more benefits than risks and it will help reduce future risk of diseases and so forth. And then a few months later, she came out and she said, you know what, all my nighttime symptoms have gone. I'm not no longer getting anything. I'm sleeping through the night. And wow. so and it just makes you think that we need to be asking the questions more and more. Oh, wow. Yes. I probably need to pick up that practice because following one of the podcasts I listened to, your episodes I listened to, I think it was with Professor Jeffrey Hackett, that informed my practice. All men over the age of, well, I pegged man at 45 and I was asking all of them about erectile dysfunction because it's something that was never discussed. And mm. my pickup rate was probably about 40%. Gosh. I was like, oh gosh, what's going on here? And we have to book a follow-up appointment. So I'm building that into, I think I probably should do that for women as well and just keep asking. Yeah. And it's so important because for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast Erectile dysfunction can be a really early marker of heart disease. And obviously there are problems associated with erectile dysfunction that need addressing. But also, if it's a future risk of heart disease, we want to pick that up and manage it early. And it's the same with low hormones. We know that the earlier women are treated, the lower their future risk of heart disease. And cardiovascular disease and dementia kill most women. So we need to have ways of reducing to... We want to be away from doctors, don't we? The more that we can control our lives and our health the healthier we can be and the less we can come and 
hound doctors, which is so important, especially at the time of crisis that we're in now with the NHS being overwhelmed. Yes, yes. I think it is really important to talk about lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been really useful. Thank you ever so much to uh, listen to your insight. But I'm just also delighted that I've managed to help hopefully mould the way that you're going to uh, work as a GP going forward. So before I finish, are you able to give three tips? So I always do three take-home tips, but I'd be very interested to hear what your three take-home tips to your group of people that you interact with your other doctors who are like you nearly gps what are your three things that you would say to encourage them to know more about the menopause and hrt oh gosh um well okay i think first tip will be to know that menopause and hrt is not as complicated as we make it out to be and they should just literally watch and do the confidence in menopause on 14 fish it kind of builds up a lot of things for them. Second thing they should always come forward with is the benefits of HRT. Women that take HRT, they have a 50% reduction in their cardiovascular risk, which is quite huge, taking that into consideration. And they should also know the benefits about osteoporosis and dementia, for instance. That is actually a very good one. And the third thing is in all women over the age of 45, well, even 40, they should start incorporating and thinking holistically everyone comes in with non-specific symptoms like even tired all the time symptoms always have it at the back of your mind could this be a perimenopausal woman brilliant yeah great so really good really sound advice so thank you so much for your time today it's been really interesting thank you thank you very much thank you For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play. Music